Here to share the success stories of people who took the opportunity to join the trades and how these opportunities can be achieved by anyone looking for success. Hey guys, it's Middle of the Res Road back again for our episode on the 25th. Um, Alyssa, you have a bunch of events for us, and I'm kind of excited about this weekend. Yeah, so this weekend on the Pow Wow Highway, we have the Bad River Monoman Pow Wow in Wisconsin for the 26th, 27th, and 28th. So I think we might plan on going to that. Okay. I know. What do you think? Yeah, I'm always down for a Pow Wow. Yeah. And then other events, we have the Lake Superior Dragon Boat Festival at Barker's Island on the 26th and 27th. And also, my favorite time of the year, the Minnesota State Fair, uh, from August 25th through the September 5th. Why is it your favorite? Because I like food. <laughs> <laughs> I think the corn is your favorite, isn't the it? The corn is my favorite. Do you ever go to the State Fair? You know, I, I have went to the State Fair, and I don't go every year, but I went last year with the family, and... Before that, my wife and actually, uh, our the first place we lived was uh, in Roseville, so close to the State Fair. And oh, okay. So, you know, oh, every, yeah, that's real close. Every once in a while, we'd just go there in the evening for dinner. You know, nothing but corn, corn dogs, and <laughs> cheese curds, and, and then sick to your stomach the next day. Yep. <laughs> but it tastes good. Yeah. My other favorite thing is the deep-fried oli- green olives. Have you had those before? I haven't had oh those Oh, my there. God, they're so good. They're very good, yeah. Which brings us to our trivia question, actually. Um how many people attend the state fair per year? So, don't say your answers yet. Say it for the end of the interview. But we have a very special guest from one of our sponsors, actually, Enbridge. Paul kind of talked to us about his tribal engagement team. Thanks for coming on to the podcast and talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ricky. So, Paul... What, what do you do at Enbridge? Well, my role at Enbridge is Director of Tribal Engagement in the U.S. What, a, what is that like? What does a day-to-day look like for you? You know, a day to, so I have a small team that, mm-hmm. uh, that works underneath me uh, or works for me, and uh, they do a lot of the engagement with tribal nations across where we operate and uh, uh, perhaps build projects in the United States. And... You know, from uh, you know, a typical day might be um, you know meeting with someone from my team out at uh, you know one of the the tribes or on the reservation, meeting with the tribal government. Uh, it might also be you know, talking to the media, like uh, you know, like we're doing today on this podcast. Um, on a given day, I might be uh, you know just doing administrative work, you know, approving invoices and and um, you know timesheets and and those sorts of things. So it's uh, it's quite varied, but um, it's been uh, been a lot of fun too. So you do office work, and then you get to go go out on the field, I guess. 
Yeah, that's right. I, I am out in the field from time to time. Last week, I spent a couple of days at one of our project sites in Wisconsin. Um, this week already, I spent a, a day over uh, meeting with one of the tribal councils in Minnesota. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was in Michigan uh, in the uh, St. Ignace area, meeting with a whole bunch of different uh, tribal contractors and businesses. So it's, um, it's been fun uh, to get to know different people and uh, engage with the different communities. So you're a busy man is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, aren't we all, right? Yeah. Lots of travel, though. There is, there is some travel, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, you need to get out to the communities. You need to go to them uh, if you're going to engage properly and um, be able to, to learn, uh, you know, from the different tribal communities and, um, you know, he- hear from them and, and have them, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, influence how we do work. How long have, <laughs> excuse me, how long has the tribal engagement been around for Enbridge? You know, tribal engagement at Enbridge, you know, let's say maybe just more generally indigenous engagement has been around for quite some time. I think 2001 is when the company first um, adopted a policy related to engagement with indigenous people. I think it was our aboriginal people's policy. But primarily the, the work that focused on engagement with indigenous people, I would say, happened more in Canada than in the U.S., and it's been like that, uh, I think, for quite some time. Our indigenous engagement policies uh, uh, changed over time. Uh, you know, today it's called our indigenous people's policy. Uh, I think it was most recently updated in 2018. And now we have dedicated staff on, in both the U.S. and Canada uh, who do uh, indigenous engagement for the company. So, you know, it's um, evolved over time. It's a journey as, uh, you know, we learn as a company. Um, and we learn from the communities where we operate and build projects. You know, we've learned as a recent we need to do more engagement with indigenous people. So that in part is what you know, drove my, the creation of my role in the U.S. and uh, you know, why we have more resources in the U.S. now doing this work. Well, Enbridge is technically, is, is it a Canadian company? Yet? Enbridge is headquartered in uh, Calgary, Alberta. Okay, yeah. But uh, it's a publicly traded company, so mm. if you were to buy stock in the company... Uh, you know, you could be a, a part owner. Uh, the stock's traded on the New York Stock Exchange and the Toronto uh, Stock Exchange. Oh, okay. Are you trying to get me to buy stock? I'm not <laughs> trying. <laughs> I am not trying to get you to buy stock. Kidding, yeah. But just to help further describe, you know, yeah, who the owners are, where we're headquartered. But yeah, we, we are headquartered out of uh, Calgary, Alberta. So have you always been around from this area? You know, I was uh, born in Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, mostly grew up in Minnesota. I went to college in the univer- at the University of Minnesota in Duluth. Oh, okay. And uh, after college, I left, you know, this area. I think we're in Cloquet today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've come back to Duluth uh, several times throughout my career. Uh, first, uh, after college, um, I-, I worked a couple couple different jobs and I came back to Enbridge in 2000 or I came to Enbridge in 2006. I moved away from this area I think twice and then came back to this area twice while with Enbridge once to go work on a a wind farm in Colorado and and another time uh, to work in the pipeline operations up in Edmonton, Alberta and then moved back to Duluth. So most of your life you've been? Yeah both both my kids were born Mm -hmm. here in Duluth. Um, I think I've spent probably maybe 12 of the 16 years I've been with Enbridge here in Duluth. Oh, wow. I didn't know you were worked for Enbridge for 16 years. That's yep, yep, 16 years. Uh, well, it'll be 16 years this October. Did you go to school for, like, communications or something for, like, your 
current position or what did you go to school nope. for? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I went to school for engineering. My degree was in industrial engineering. And actually right out of college, I took a job as a robotics engineer uh, working in a factory. I, d- I didn't stay there very long. Um, I think I enjoyed traveling more and, and seeing more of the countryside, engaging with people more. And that led to um, a job later on uh, with a, a wind farm development company. That was my first job in the energy industry. Okay. Uh, Gamesa is the name of the company. I think they're owned now by Siemens. They build um, wind farms, and I was a developer for them for a few years. And then I uh, came to Enbridge and worked as an engineer uh, and then did construction management. And through um, probably a whole bunch of projects, I found myself engaging more with communities and really appreciating the value that uh, the company and, and I think the communities got through that engagement. And some of that included engaging with, uh, with tribes in the U.S. where I, I did some projects. And then I think it was uh, around 2019 um, is when I actually found myself moving into our public affairs uh, department within the company. It's called PACS, Public Affairs, Communications, and Sustainability. And my role in, then in that department is uh, to oversee our tribal engagement in the U.S. And that's really focused on uh, making sure that our operations, our business operations in the United States, um, is uh, fulfilling our Indigenous Peoples Policy and the commitments in there. So is so engaging with the community, is, is that what made you want to get into tribal engagement? You know, I, I wanted to get into this space at the, at the time or around 2018, 19, because I saw a need for it, you know, as a, maybe as an engineer, maybe this is cliche. I enjoy problem solving and challenges. And, and I could see that uh, the lack of some of the engagement that we were doing was having an impact on the business and it was having an impact on communities. And I, um, I thought and advocated internally that uh, the company needed to do more engagement with tribes. And, um, you know, I was met with a positive response and, and then an opportunity to do it. How, how does it benefit tribes? I'm just going to grill you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think as we propose uh, projects or infrastructure work or, or do our operations, if we're engaging with tribes, we're learning more about what their needs are, whether it's uh, to ensure their citizens benefit or to better protect their resources. It gives us a chance to shape how we do business. And I think that in turn benefits tribes. I can just give you maybe some examples. We're here in Minnesota on the line through replacement project. There was a lot of interest uh, from indigenous people. Uh, there was a push during the project to do a tribal cultural resources survey. That was not originally part of the project. We agreed to uh, uh, commit to do that work. The Fond du Lac uh, Band of Natural Resources, or the Fond du Lac Band, uh, their natural resources department and their tribal historic mm-hmm. preservation officer uh, led the um, uh, Tribal uh, Cultural Resources Survey. And uh, that survey um, came up with um, sites that needed to be protected. And it led to changes in the project. I think there were about 30 sites identified that um, we had to apply some form of mitigation, whether that was a reduction in workspace or monitoring or a small change in the route. So I think that in turn benefited um, uh, Indigenous people. It led to changes in the project. You know, I think another benefit that uh, was derived from the Line 3 replacement project is the economic benefit. Uh, we heard from some community members. They wanted to participate economically in the project. We committed to do $100 million worth of business with um, uh, Native people and uh, Native-owned businesses. And, uh, you know, today we're excited that about $370 million has been spent either with um, 
Native American member-owned businesses or on uh, wages with uh, with tribal citizens here. Oh wow! I didn't know that it was three hundred million. I know you guys were involved with tribal businesses for a little bit, but I didn't know it was to that extent. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a, it's close to three hundred and seventy million now, and it's still counting because we still have. Uh, some restoration work going on, and we still have pipe removal to do on line three replacement. But on a quarterly basis, we're required to report that tribal economic activity to the Public Utility Commission in Minnesota. So those filings are all um, filed publicly, you know, so you can uh, recover them from the Minnesota uh, Public Utility Commission. And also the Public Utility Commission has audited that spend. And um, uh, an auditor's been out uh, reviewing our... Um, uh, our ledger and our uh, contracts and meeting with uh, the tribal member-owned businesses that we've worked with to ensure that that spending is accurate. Do you guys have a certain amount, like, percentage-wise to interact with Indigenous communities, like work, um, careers, or anything like that? You know, to, to some extent, there are some percentages, but um, they also need to appropriately match the makeup of the communities where you're working. So in, in some areas of our work, you know, there are very few Indigenous people and, and the inclusion is less. In other areas where we work, there's a higher inclusion of Indigenous people. Uh, the company, Enbridge, has set um, uh, a target for inclusion of, um, of, of a variety of different under, underrepresented uh, groups in our business. So we've uh, set several social uh, uh, category goals. One of those is to ensure that 3.5% of Enbridge's employee base is Indigenous. I think today we're at around 2.4%, 23 or 2.4% company-wide. So we are actively, um, uh, you know, trying to recruit Indigenous applicants. And in some areas where you can apply uh, Indigenous preference, uh, we do that on some of our job postings as well. So I I think it depends on where we're doing work, but also as a company, um, you know, we are seeking to make sure that there's a certain percentage of our employee base that's indigenous, along with veteran, uh, disability, um, uh, ethnic minority. There are some other uh, targets set too. What are some of the goals that you guys have when it comes to interacting with tribes and Yeah, you know, I, I think it really starts with indigenous people's policy and the commitments we make. So some of those commitments are a commitment to engage, a commitment to uh, ensure benefits are realized by indigenous communities. And, you know, from those commitments drive, uh, you know, some of the goals. So on projects like Line Through Replacement, we had set a goal to do $100 million worth of business with um, uh, indigenous communities. You know, as a company now, we set a goal to ensure that 3.5% of our employee makeup is uh, identifies as indigenous. So those are, t- you know, some of the types of uh, goals we're setting. You know, we also set goals on other projects in Wisconsin, the Line 5 reroute project. I think we set a, a goal to do $45 million worth of um, spending with uh, tribal member-owned businesses or on tribal uh, member wages on that project. Um, so, it, you know, it really depends on where we're working, but those are, you know, some of the goals we've set. Do you, do you also have a percentage for work on that pipeline? Because I know at line three was 7% were indigenous. Do you have a... Yeah, I mean, the 7% target for inclusion on line three replacement was, we'll say, um, um, a soft target or a non-punitive target. So there were no re- repercussions on the contractor uh, for not meeting those targets. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it was a target that we measured against because as we looked at the 
the average population of the counties that we are working through. If you were to take each one of the counties and look at the you know the makeup of how many indigenous people are in those counties and then just take a simple average it was around you know seven percent so again our our goal oftentimes is to try to better match the makeup of the community with the the work i suppose or you said it it all depends on where you guys are at yeah that's right so what have you guys done within the native community like as far as like sponsoring events or yeah i i mean there's been um, you know lots of different examples you know some of the tribal community mm-hmm. colleges we've provided scholarships to for mm-hmm. you know 10 years or more uh, oh i didn't yeah, know 10 years yep um you know during covid did we uh, we spent oh i don't know i want to say it was almost a couple million dollars on uh, covid relief to different indigenous communities across north america um, you know, we've sponsored lots of different events. Uh, you know, one of the favorites that I've done is uh, um, the Wells Academy. So Wells Technology out of Bemidji. Andy Wells is the, uh, the owner of Wells Technology. He's a Red Lake band member, uh, has a very successful um, a manufacturing business. And uh, he has an academy that reaches out to, you know, people who can't get a job elsewhere. Maybe they've come out of prison here recently. Maybe, um, you know, they've, for whatever reason, have run into barriers in their life, right? And they can't get a job. And he is essentially, uh, you know, brings them in and provides training, you know, at Wells Technology uh, for an individual for you know, a year, sometimes more. And uh, he does a, a fundraiser every year. Oftentimes it's a golf event uh, to sponsor uh, Wells Academy. And um, uh, I've oftentimes participated at that event. And, you know, I just love the opportunity that I get then to meet some of the graduates from the Wells Academy and just see the skills they've developed and how they've, you know, been able to change their life, you know, working for his business. Yeah, we actually met yeah. Andy at uh, Res in, at the Res Conference in Vegas. Oh, great. Yeah. He's the nicest person. man. Yes. You know what's incredible? That's where we met Andy Wells. <laughs> and yet he's in Bemidji. <laughs> I know he's so close, but met him in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, we... We wanted to go tour his site, and we talked to Andy and one of his graduates. And Yeah, we're actually hoping to tour his site, hopefully in either September or, or October. Okay, great. So that would be, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, in fact, he's expanded his business a little bit back on to the Red Lake Reservation. So we had, you asked about sponsorships. We had sponsored financially uh uh, Oshkamajitata, which is a workforce development institute on Red Lake, uh, the development of a new manufacturing building there. Uh, this was several years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, now Oshkamajitata has um, partnered with uh, Wells Technology to put some CNC machines and some manufacturing uh, training um, over back on the Red Lake Reservation. So it was neat to actually see the extension of his business in the Wells Academy uh, uh, back onto Red Lake. And yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. neat. And excited to see that it, uh, you know, w- was helped made possible by Enbridge's um, uh, funding of their technology uh, uh, building there in um, in Red Lake. So speaking of that, what other, like, activities have you been a part of within the Native community? <laughs> or do you have a favorite example or something like that? You know, I've had a chance to go to a few powwows. Now that, uh, you know, I'm in this job and, and I hadn't before, you know, sorry to say I hadn't. And, you know, I was missing out. 
Um, but it's been uh, eye-opening and uh, kind of exciting to uh, to go to the, like, for example, I went to the Honor of the Earth powwow at Le Couture a couple years ago and, and brought my family with. And, <laughs> you know, my, my daughters thought it was pretty cool to see the dancing. They had to buy some stuff there, you know, some souvenirs <laughs> to bring home. And, and uh, you know, that was pretty special. And then um, uh, just last, you know, this summer in July, I was up in uh, in Calgary and the Calgary Stampede was taking place. And they had a, a powwow and, and a dance competition there, and I went to some of that, and that was awesome. And also got to um, visit the Elbow River Camp, and it's an indigenous camp that um, is stood up in conjunction with the Calgary Stampede, and Enbridge has been a longtime sponsor of the Elbow River Camp. And, and in fact, one of our um, um, employees, longtime employees in the Calgary area is from the Sutina uh, Reservation and, and is you know connected with the, the Elbow River Camp there too. And so I've had uh, a neat opportunity to get some, um, you know, personal tours of the of the camp, and uh, and it's just neat to you know hear about the TP and and um, you know the history and the culture behind it. And it's not my culture, but it's been an, an awesome one to learn about. I suppose before taking this job, was it kind of a culture shock when you took it? You know, it it was and wasn't. Uh, you know, I've learned a ton, and I'm learning more every day. And I appreciate everyone that's, you know, given their time to to help uh, educate me. But even before taking this job, um, you know, I had uh, opportunities to re- respond to um, questions that came about our projects and operations from Indigenous people that oftentimes I didn't know the answer to, and I had to do some research and and learn. I also had the opportunity to to work. Um, here on the Fond du Lac Reservation in 2009 and 10 when I managed a pipeline project um, you know, through the Fond du Lac Reservation. So that was a, a real uh, learning opportunity as well. I would say, do you enjoy this job? Does, like, does it bring you joy? Yeah, I, well, I won't... I, I'm not gonna lie. There are some hard times. Right. You know, there are some. You know, we, we. I face criticism. You know, the company faces criticism. Uh, but you know, going back to the the Wells Technology example, you know, when you actually get out there and meet the people, and um, you know, see the impacts, some of the positive impacts that you can have, um, it's it's pretty incredible. You know, I uh, we sponsored um, a wild rice processing plant on the White Earth Reservation a couple years ago, and. Um, the funds that we sponsored, um, uh, I think it's Brian Buck's Wild Rice Processing Facility, you know, were put right into the facility, and I got a chance to then go tour the facility uh, after the improvements were made, and just to see how appreciative uh, Brian was, and to see <laughs> how much rice he had there to process, <laughs> <laughs> and how hard he was uh, working at it, but yet how much joy he was experiencing in his work, right? Just brought me joy, you know, so it's pretty exciting to see um, you know, how some of what we can do as a corporation benefits communities. And then to actually go see those benefits uh, in action is, is just, is awesome. Well, I'm sure like everybody you sponsor is very thankful for everything you guys do. We definitely are. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, we're happy to to sponsor middle of the res road uh, podcast and it's neat to see, you know, you guys bring in your voice, uh, you know, out to the internet and out to podcast subscribers and, and, um, you know, I, I hope others sponsor you as well. And, and uh, in the end, it's your voice. Uh, you know, we're not asking you to, to air anything in particular. And, um, you know, I'm happy to have the opportunity to, to speak. I think some, I think this will be very informational for a lot of our listeners. And 
because I feel like maybe they don't know like that side of the company. I think maybe sometimes they just see the bad. Sure. I think it's easy to, to look at the look for the bad and when it comes yeah. to infrastructure companies. But I'm excited about what Ambridge is doing. You know, we're a, we're a big business, and maybe I'll just share a little bit about Ambridge. Is that okay if I just share yeah. a little bit about the business? I mean, Ambridge um, was started actually here where we are today in uh, around 1950. A pipeline was built from Edmonton, Alberta, to Superior, Wisconsin. That That's line one, right? Yeah, that's yeah. line one. <laughs> and then guess what pipeline was built next? Line two. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we've had a long history here. Uh, but the company is also uh, growing and diversifying in different ways, which is awesome, right? It started out as an oil pipeline company. In the 90s, um, uh, we, we got into the gas side of the business quite a bit. Um, in 2002, we built our uh, first wind farm. So we've been in the um, you know, renewable business for 20 years. I don't think people uh, realize that. Oh, 20 years. Yeah, 2002 is when we built our first wind farm. And... Um, Today, we're a, a, a business that has four primary business units. We have liquid pipelines, which are primarily oil. We have uh, natural gas transmission pipelines. We have a, a large natural gas utility. So those that uh, you know, get gas delivered to their home in the Toronto area uh, get that service from Enbridge. So I think we have close to 3 million uh, customers in our gas utility. So it's a big utility company. And then we've got a, a big renewable, uh, a renewable business. I think there's 24 wind farms now. 17 uh, solar energy facilities. Uh, we have a geothermal uh, facility out in Oregon. I was going to ask uh, about that. That we're yeah. investor in, yeah. And one of the other things I think that's that's really neat, you know, we're into the hydrogen um, energy space too. Mm. So in 2018, we built our first hydrogen uh, to gas facility that was um, using, uh, or, or power to gas facility that was using excess power to generate hydrogen. And then just this year, we're now blending uh, some hydrogen in the natural gas stream. I read about that. To some yeah. of our customers, which is which is real awesome, right? Because you can burn hydrogen, and when you burn hydrogen, it doesn't emit any carbon. Oh, it's water. Right, it's water vapor. Yeah, that's right. So um, you can reduce the carbon emissions. When I say blending, we're blending the hydrogen in with natural gas in order to reduce the carbon intensity of the net, you know, for the natural gas users. Mm-hmm. And um, you can't just take a, a natural gas furnace and just feed it hydrogen instead. You'd actually have to make some changes to the furnace. But we're learning that you can blend some hydrogen with the natural gas, and that furnace will still um, operate, you know, today, the one you have in your home. So we're, we're doing some of that uh, work in some of our utilities. So it's pretty neat. I, you know, Enbridge is um, investing in the future. I mean, you know, we say as a company, um, you know, tomorrow is on, and uh, we're fully engaged and committed to the energy transition. We think it has to be at a reasonable pace, so that energy is still affordable and still accessible. Right. But, um, but it's pretty cool to see the, the direction we're heading as a company. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, you know, Enbridge's logo, le- motto, I mean, life takes energy. What, what does that mean? Te- like, I know what it means, <laughs> but could you maybe explain it a little bit better? Well, I'm going to restate it. Life takes energy, right? Yeah. Everything we do takes energy, whether it's the food we eat to... Uh, you know, uh, gas in a vehicle or, um, you know, plugging your vehicle in, right? All of that energy, uh, you know, powers our lives. Even the things you buy, right, on Amazon, they've got to get transported to you right. and, and they need, need to get manufactured and all of that uh, takes energy. Um, you know, as a company, we're, we're proud of the energy we deliver. You know, it, it uh, in turn provides for the quality of life that we all have. 
but we're also, you know, proud that the the future is um, is one that's bright. And uh, again, back to the tomorrow's on, you know, energy. We also say Enbridge is a is a bridge to the energy future. You know, we are building that bridge, right? We're building uh, energy transition uh, infrastructure. In fact, we uh, back to the indigenous piece for a second. We announced uh, a cool partnership on a um, uh, carbon capture. Um, project in Alberta that we uh, partnered with some First Nations on. So uh, a true equity, you know, co-ownership type partnership where we partner with some First Nations um, on a, a proposal in Alberta to do uh, carbon capture and long-term storage. So uh, another uh, a cool opportunity. So that kind of brings me to my last question. How important would you say like the recent Line 3, I think it's 93 now, the recent Line three and line five, how important are those to like the Great Lakes region in upper Minnesota? I mean, our energy supply is, is really important, right? Back to the, whether you order something on Amazon, that's got to get here by, you know, truck or plane or, or otherwise. And, uh, you know, that fuel that um, fuels the transportation of all that industry is, is critical to our, our daily lives. And line three, line five, they move a tremendous amount of, um, of oil. Right. And that oil is used not just in the Midwest, but, you know, as far as eastern Canada and as far down as the Gulf Coast. Um, but taking that product out of um, the mix would, would be a, a huge hit. So I, I don't know if this is exact, but it's close. I think, for example, Minnesota consumes somewhere in the neighborhood of 300,000 barrels a day. It's a give or take 50. And um, line, line three and line five move more than what Minnesota consumes on a daily basis. So there's more than a state's worth of crude oil moving through those pipelines. So if line three is moving 760,000 barrels a day, that's nearly twice. Twice the daily consumption of Minnesota alone. So imagine taking two states worth of supply out uh, of the picture, whether that uh, just hits Minnesota, you know, if that were to, you know, all be going to Illinois, if Illinois was, completely without oil that would have price impacts not just on illinois but indiana and wisconsin and minnesota and iowa and michigan and so i mean it's a important fuel um feedstock Mm -hmm. for for the midwest and the great lakes region i didn't know that that's the consumption rate either too of just minnesota alone it's it's kind of crazy to think about how much people demand oil and natural gas and without even realizing it if that makes sense yeah it it does so minnesota has two refineries um those two refineries are located down in the twin cities area and uh, those two refineries get a large portion of their crude oil supply from enbridge pipeline so enbridge transports that um crude oil to minnesota from places like canada and north dakota to a terminal called Clearbrook, which is just northwest of Bemidji. And then another pipeline system called the Minnesota Pipeline um, connects to our Clearbrook terminal and transports the crude oil used by the Minnesota refineries down to those refineries in the Twin Cities area. Oh, okay. I, think I, we didn't, know we, I didn't know we had two. I think we drove past that one. Kind of looked like its own city. <laughs> they, yep, they're, they're big facilities. Yeah, they're huge. <laughs> <laughs> um. Did you have any more questions for Paul? 
Um, I just kind of wanted to get back to um, you. Like, just so we can get to know you a little better besides just what you do at Enbridge. Mm -hmm. um, I know we talked about college and where you lived, but, like, what, what else do you do? Do you, like... What are your hobbies? Or? <laughs> you know, I've got a variety of hobbies. I enjoy outdoor activities. That's probably one just ca general category. I, I enjoy hunting and fishing quite a bit. I think that's not abnormal for people that live in northern Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy uh, in, in doing that in particular with the with my kids, uh, even with some neighborhood kids. One thing I've really enjoyed the last couple of years is introducing kids, and, and my daughter in particular, to hunting. And that's been fun, you know, um, she shot a, a few deer now, and, and um, you know, we take it home and hang it up in the backyard and um, process it ourselves, and, you know, the whole family is involved in it. And then, you know, um, you know we, we eat a couple deer a year as a family, you know, so we enjoy mm -hmm. consuming it too. And we just had game for dinner last night. We had tacos, um, you know, made with some, you know, ground game meat, and it was great. So, I mean, I, I enjoy hunting. You know, another activity that I've got into more um, in the last few years this one was driven more by the kids, but I have a one daughter that's involved in rock climbing. And oh. I, so I've gotten more involved in rock climbing oh, cool. <laughs> over the last maybe four or five years. Um, other than that, I, I enjoyed, uh, enjoy running and skiing and, and that kind of stuff. Did you say you have two kids? I do, yep. Uh, both girls? Both girls. Oh. Ooh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going for you? <laughs> Good. Girls are awesome. How, yeah. how old are they? Uh, one's 13 and one's 11. Two teens, almost. I know, I know. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be an experience. <laughs> it's gonna be an interesting uh, couple of years. And my younger daughter, she's been uh, getting more and more involved in basketball, and uh, that's been fun to see uh, playing, you know, games of lightning and pig in the front yard. And um, you know, she had a little tennis tournament yesterday. Oh, fun! That's cool. Other than that, I don't. I mean, unless you have anything you want to share that we haven't covered. Maybe well, like a deep secret or a fear. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Alyssa and Ricky, what about what about the two of you? What's uh, What do you enjoy about this job? I like, meet, I, I like meeting all the new people that, you know, we haven't met before and getting to know them and their story and how they've become successful and what they can do to help other people become successful. Yeah, I would say the stories are my favorite part. Everybody has a story, and everybody's story is different, too. You know, it's you never know what you're going to hear mm -hmm. when you hit record. <laughs> cool. You know, I'll share one last story. I was involved in a conversation with, back to Andy Wells, about uh, oil. And uh, he described it as this. He said, it's such an, an, an amazing um, natural resource because it, there's so much energy in such a small package. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's right, and it is. But, you know, we've got to be uh, responsible in how we use it. And, um, you know, it's limited. It produces carbon. And, um, you know, it is a pretty awesome resource. I think it's going to be around for a long time. But we also need to do a better job about how we use it. And, mm -hmm. and hopefully, um, you know, together, um, you know, we'll learn from each other and find better ways to uh, reduce our consumption and, um, um, you know, further limit the carbon emissions right. and, and also transition away. Yeah, well, like you said, you guys are transitioning into renewables when you can in the future. And I think, I think that's great, too. Yeah. 
And also at the same time, there's still you know, the need for natural gas up here. Could you imagine if we didn't have natural gas during the winter time here when winter's 11 months out of the year? <laughs> I'd have to get a couple more cords of wood and maybe add a second right. fireplace, I think, in my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's nice to hear more about your company and mm-hmm. company you work for and all the stuff you guys do and how you guys interact with tribes too. It's very informational. Thank you for coming down and talking with us about it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, it's exciting to, to talk through some of these topics. Again, I'm you know, proud of where Enbridge is heading. We're making enormous uh, investments in um, renewable energy and in the energy transition. We're partnering more with indigenous people. I mentioned, you know, how we're engaging them, but that carbon capture project is a, yeah. you know, a, I think a, a path we're taking to true partnership. And, um, you know, for us, again, like I, like I said earlier, we believe tomorrow's on and, and that the company's taking the right steps to, to um, build that brighter future. Well said, Paul. Uh, we might steal that for a quote, if you don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Well, thanks. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thank Alyssa. you for coming yeah. down. Thanks, Ricky. Thank you. But before you leave. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's not a oh We're just going to get back to the trivia question or the trivia answer. Oh, yeah. So it was how many people attend the Minnesota State Fair per year? We're, I'm going to shoot go with a million. That was my guess, too. Like a million? 900,000 to a million. So... In 2019, the record was set for 2,126,551 people. Um, In 2020, well, 2020, we didn't have a state fair because of COVID. And 2021, I actually think COVID still played a little bit of a role in that because there was only 1,301,584 people last year. But yeah, they, um, they average... About 100,000 people a day okay. compared to 150,000 people a day. So That's that's so crazy how many people go there in the span of... Was it 12 so, days? Oh, 12 days, yeah. You know, I think last year might have been the first... It might have been the first year I took my kids there, and I remember thinking, well, this isn't that busy, but <laughs> maybe your numbers speak for that. It wasn't that busy last year. Yeah. <laughs> 700,000 difference <laughs> yeah. within the span of two years. Minnesota is the largest state fair, right? Is it? I believe so, yeah. Minnesota get together. Don't quote me on that because I'm not too positive on that statement there. <laughs> I believe it is. It's got to be with that many people. <laughs> but yeah, so. That's you have anything all, else nope, for us? That's all I got. No? All right, well, this has been Middle of the Res Road with Paul. And Enbridge, and we will hey, see you hi, next week. Ha, Bye. Hi, ha, we hi.